Hello, Stuart. Hi, Tom. How's it going? It's, it's very well, thank you. Um, Stuart, if I were to say to you, the awful poo lady, would that would that <laughs> would would that bring anything to mind? Would that, yes. Would that, yes. Would that mean anything to you? What would it mean? It, what would, it, mean to you? it would mean Dr. Julian McKeith. Dr. Julian uh, McKeith, the, PhD. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The TV host from was it? It was kind of the early two thousands, wasn't it? Or, Something or the, like that. Yeah. Mid two thousands that she did a a TV show called. You are what you eat, wasn't it? It was. That was indeed what it was called. I'd forgotten that, but yes, that is what that is what it was called, and it involved an awful lot of her, like people showing them showing her their turds in Tupperware boxes. (laughs) They bring like a Tupperware box with a crap in it and go, "Here you go." I remember that. And she would analyze it, and apparently that would tell tell you an awful lot about your health. Yes, it was too uh, soft or it floated. But I think I see from the floating turds were bad. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, God, we should have put like what we did for the. The last episode, we should have put some sort of warning up. Like, this is an awful lot of poo discussion today. This, is, uh, this episode is going to include a lot of turds floating and otherwise. Yes. Uh, so I do apologize for that. But yeah, the, I was thinking about the, the awful poo lady, Dr. Gillian McKeith. Or the joke was always, Dr. Gillian McKeith, PhD, or to give her her full title... Gillian McKeith. Yes, uh, yes, because... that was Ben Goldacre's thing, wasn't it? <laughs> that's uh, right, that's right. Because she never actually had it. It was a, it was a sort of a correspondence course PhD yes. that she had. So I think Ben Goldacre was, got, yes. Sorry, he got his cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. No, he got his cat to, to, to get a PhD from the same place, right? Yes, or something along those lines, yes, or some affiliate <laughs> degree, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yes. um, she was, yeah, I, I don't think her scientific credentials were quite as good as channel four made them out to be i think it's fair to right say. yes yes but but tom it turns out that if you look at a lot of science that is around nowadays she was actually uh somewhat ahead of her time because there's so much stuff in the media and in the scientific literature in general about the microbiome the microbiome, and the microbiome. Yes. yeah the microbiome is basically just people's turds like the content of your of the content of your guts and um, that apparently might affect all sorts of aspects of our health and our mental health and all that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, you know, it used to be this niche weird interest of weird people like the awful poo lady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine if that's what you were known for. Oh, no. But Ben Goldacre has so much to answer for, doesn't he? He does. Uh, he does. He does. Um, uh, but, 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 but now it's a much more mainstream thing. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, on the study show today. Yes, and we so we should we should say welcome to the study show. Hello, everybody. Yes. I'm Tom Chivers, a science writer with Semaphore, and I'm Stuart Ritchie, a science writer at the Eye. So, what is the microbiome? The definition I can find is that it's all the microbes that live in your gut. And actually, some people say there are microbiomes elsewhere too, like your skin microbiome and your uh, oral microbiome, like all the microbes that are in your mouth. So, but 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 what we're going to talk about today is the, is the standard one, which is your gut. Like yeah. it tends to be in your it tends to be in your large intestine, like in your colon. And some people include the microbiome. They mean all the like all the products of those little bacteria and and fungi and viruses and things that are in there. And and some people also include their genes. There's like genetic analyses and stuff that you can do. And there's like thousands of species of them. And Apparently, one gram of human feces contains an impressive total, that's what they say in the scientific paper, an impressive total of 100 billion microorganisms. 
Well, I mean, it is, that is, there's definitely a big number. I have no idea if, yes. it is, if it's impressive or not, but, you know, but, yeah, that is yes. that is a big number. A biome is yeah. just like the species that live in a certain area. You know, the biome in the Amazon yes. rainforest is the all the, all the flora and fauna and everything right. comes there. Right. So yeah. I, I guess the microbiome is just one of them, but smaller. Is, uh, yes, yeah, that makes sense, mm, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the, uh, and then the idea is like, why would this be relevant at all? Because normally you just think of like, that's the waste product that you're, you know, getting rid of Hmm. uh, and why would this be at all relevant and the idea is that in the microbiome all those little microbes are producing chemicals Hmm. that might affect our health and it might affect the chemicals that we uh, absorb and uh, from from food and the and and it might affect the hormones that we produce and all sorts of stuff like that and if we've got too many of the wrong species of these little microbiome microbes then we might get ill in various ways that's the that's the theory. This doesn't seem completely insane to me because it's not as if when things are in the large intestine, they're just it's, it's just waste waiting to be expelled. It is still right. being absorbed. You know, they're the not in the toilet still, by that. Yeah, point. exactly. The nutrients are still being absorbed. I don't know if that's yes. true in the colon. Actually, I, I I think that I feel like that is just sort of that's the that's the exit waiting room. But the um. I think yeah, in, in the large intestine, it is still there is still absorption going on. So it does it presumably yes. theoretically could matter what chemicals are being released in it you know i think so i think it seems so yeah theoretically plausible and there's a, a, you know we'll put a, a reference to a paper that gives lots of theoretically plausible reasons for this so for instance like just a couple of things that they mentioned in this paper um lipopolysaccharides are mm-hmm. this particular kind of like large molecule that are found in the cell membranes of particular kinds of bacteria and then when they are in when they're released into the body they can trigger an immune response like like a sort of inflammation response uh the, the, you know what the same sort of thing that happens when you have uh, an infection yeah and some people think that 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 might be the cause of some conditions because you have you know there are autoimmune conditions and then some people think that inflammation is involved in even psychiatric conditions like depression and, and okay. so on so if you have too many of the bacteria that have these lipopolysaccharides then maybe that's uh, yeah, so, so there's a there's a there's a there's a theoretical rationale. There and is. actually, I, I will say though, like inflammation is one of those funny things that I see linked to. So, you know, it actually, yeah, it makes me a bit nervous when I see it because yes, there are lots of things that are linked to it, but then there's it, every. It's one of those things a bit like when people say, "Oh, it's probably quantum." You know, like it's just everything gets <laughs> yeah. like we don't know what's going on here. We don't really know what's going on with inflammation. Let's just say that they're, 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 you know, they, I noticed yeah. this thing causes inflammation and it also causes you to get Alzheimer's or whatever. Let's just say that that's the mechanism, and no one seems to be able to explain quite why. It's just like everyone says, yes. consciousness is probably quantum because it's weird, and so is quantum. You know, let's, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a that's a fair description. I, I feel like there's a book or uh, I can't even remember who it's by, but about like saying that depression is really you know it's not caused by this sort of serotonin theory that everyone held a while ago it's actually it's actually in large part caused by inflammation and we'll actually we'll come back to that idea um in a, in a little while but um but the, the, the yeah so that that's that that's one particular thing the inflammation theory but yeah. then there's another theory which is if you remember back to the very first episode that we did yes. uh, of, the, of the study show about semaglutide the mm-hmm. uh, weight loss drug Yep, I do remember um, it very well. Yep, it mimics this hormone that's um, produced by some cells in the gut. So it's GLP one. So the the, the semaglutide mimics yeah. GLP one and, and makes the body react in the same way as it would if there was lots of GLP one around, um, and it suppresses your appetite. 
Okay. Um, yes. As, as we know, uh, because the seven glutide trials show that people lose loads of weight when they're when they're on it, um, it changes various things to do with insulin and uh, and so on. And um, it turns out that there's a particular kind of gut bacteria that stimulate the cells in the intestines that produce GLP one, and so that might be a reason why you know the microbiome might affect your appetite and your weight and therefore your health and and so on. So that's okay. again another theory that people have. Again, these these are not theories that are 100 percent borne out by trials no, they're not so mad they're, either they seem they, yeah, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, this isn't this isn't sort of um i don't know homeopathy or something where it's just like people have started making crap making <laughs> yeah. stuff up and you know yeah, uh, yeah. Or, okay. or parapsychology like we uh talked about yes, a few exactly. episodes back as well mm. um, absolutely there is, does seem to be like there's decent theory behind a lot of it or at least sort of plausible stuff that why, yeah. why your microbiome could affect uh health outcomes i think that's yep. so yeah yeah totally so 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 that's in theory but then you hit the 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 wall or the uh, gut wall or whatever of um, of of reality which is that it's really hard to measure this stuff like in lots of lots of studies they they take a stool sample or and in many studies they people send in their stool sample Mm. uh in a box Uh, and and the big problem there is that if you don't freeze it at like minus 80 degrees Celsius, like really, really quite cold, um, then the bacteria can grow in all sorts of ways that make, you know, by the time you're studying it, make the sample quite different from what it's like in, you know, when it's inside well, someone's assume, colon. Presumably we assume it would be because, yeah, it's very hard to measure the bacteria with inside the colons. We have to take it out. Right, exactly. And exactly. once it's outside, the conditions are not the same. You've got in, inside the gut, you've got whatever, yeah, ask, yeah. different alkali levels or something. So you need um, a specialist freezer, and people don't tend to have specialist freezers uh, at home. They just got do normal. not remember that in You Are What You Eat. No, uh, yeah. I don't remember anyone <laughs> bringing their Tupperware box full of poo out of an eight minus 80 degree specialist freezer. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's so true. Uh, there might have been a slight confound in uh, yeah. Gillian McKeith's research. Sorry, after you, after you. Oh, well, I was just going to say that she, you know, her lack of robust scientific uh, advice continued into the COVID pandemic when she was like, she became an anti-vaxxer. Yes, I remember uh, that. And stuff. But also she was never talking about the microbiome particularly. Well, she may, she may have been, she, I don't think she was doing any bacteri- bacteriological um, specimen no. studies. You know, she was just saying, oh, that one's a bit, that one's a bit runny. That one's a bit floaty, <laughs> you know. She, yes, she was, I don't know if listeners are familiar with the Bristol stool scale. Um, but it's like a scale of how solid or liquid your turds are uh, from, from one to seven. I think one is like little little hard little nuts and mm. seven is completely liquid. And every, what you want is a three or a four, I think. Um, on the, on the, I feel, on I the feel it's, it's quite, yeah, maybe it's three, it's three or four. I've assumed from there being quite a wide range of healthy, as long as it, you know, but, that, but we're drifting off the point here. But yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the point is, so, but there's lots of different, so, so there's the freezer thing. It turns out methodologically, when you look at these studies, there's lots of different ways to like preserve the samples when you get them. So what buffer do you put them in um, when you're doing your analysis? There's lots of different ways to analyze the samples. And it turns out that most of the, you know, up until just a few years ago, all the samples, sorry, all the analysis methods meant that you could only analyze the the proportion of each type of microbe rather than the absolute numbers. So the absolute numbers might not necessarily have changed of one 
micro, but the proportion could have changed if another one increases and so on. So it, it tended to be a little bit of a confusing picture of, of exactly what was going on. Um, I think there's some newer methods where you're able to actually look at the absolute numbers now. But one review study that I found talked about, uh, quote, a staggering lack of reproducibility in the methods of, 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 of studies. And so I think there's newer, as I say, I think there's newer methods, but it should, you know, c- comparing between these studies is really quite difficult. Uh, yeah, so it's hard I, I, to be sure what the actual sort of picture of the gut floor, what, 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 they, what they're even supposed to look like, let alone what the specific what the, some specific patients' gut might look like from from a single sample sort of thing. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. And, and people have tried to look at that, about what it should look like, what is the normative microbiome. And uh, there's a 2016 paper in Science that was really that was, you know, it's very highly cited for this. And um, they took samples from lots of people and they tried to look at the kind of uh, diversity and so on of, of, of bacteria. But the really thing, the thing that strikes me about that is that when you take into account like the medication people are on, the different measures of their diet, um, you know, how many fruit and veg they eat and blah, 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 blah all this kind of stuff, um, their body size, like the Bristol stool scale quality of their stools and, and all sorts of things like that. That only explains about 8% of the variation in all the bacteria in the microbiome. So it seems like maybe all these measurement problems are, are contributing to it or something, but it, it seems like there's a lot that we don't really know and, and a lot that we don't really know how to explain about what's in yeah. the microbiome. But I suppose there must be also, I mean, we're talking about bacteria which are everywhere in the world yeah. and, we, and the, the, the ones which happen to get into your gut and which happen to you know, and which presumably then had the first to set up home there in some way, and which are to first to reproduce. You know, I can imagine it being incredibly contingent on, you know, whether you went your first holiday as a ba- as a baby was to yeah, Italy yeah. or uh, I don't know, you know, um, Germany or something like that. You know, the, yeah, totally, the, totally. These- I believe that's what people call founder effects, and uh, so like the first bacteria that are there happen to be the ones that sort of colonize mm. it more. And well, there's an awful lot of talk I, about. I've seen stuff- people talk about that. Yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff about the the importance of about in childbirth. One of the reasons people theorize that oh, um, yeah. vaginal birth is good for children is that they pick up the mother's microbiome on the way out um, yes. through proximity to the mother's bottom. Um, I don't, <laughs> right. I, and there's all sorts of claims that you should like if 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 you do a C-section, you should give them a sample of the um, of the bottom of the yeah. uh yeah um in order to give them this micro yeah but that, which which will whether, whether that's a good idea or not will of course depend heavily on whether the studies into this stuff stand up i guess but anyway yes. yeah so, so be, be, and we'll come suppose, to those not exactly yeah. those studies but we'll come to studies of microbiome transfers and yeah exactly uh, but, 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 the, but the point is that yes there's a presumably it matters enormously which bacteria you get exposed to early on because then they yes. will be the ones that are there and anyone else any other bacteria trying to come in later on will be fighting an uphill battle to yeah yeah make make their way in anyway yes sorry carry on I've totally. well no no i i think that's all that's all good good uh, good stuff to, to 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 consider and i think like the fact that we don't really know about where you know what the sort of correlates and causes of different people's microbiomes are should make you quite skeptical when you hear people talk about the microbiome and health, like have you seen all the stuff about the Zoe app recently? I keep getting it advertised on YouTube. I, I know a couple of people who are using it, and they keep getting incredibly specific recommendations about what foods they need and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, which... so for anyone who doesn't know about this, Zoe was it's it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird sort of turnaround it's had. So during the COVID pandemic, 
Zoe was like an app where you would record your symptoms, right? For for COVID, mm. you'd say you had a runny nose and you couldn't taste anything and you had a cough. Yeah, and, and it, was, like it was saying that people were using it. So oh, according to the Zoe app, we've seen uh, an increase in symptoms around the Doncaster area or something like that. Right, and, right. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, but now having, you know, the pandemic being over and all that, it's now turned into an app where you can get a, a, a patch, like almost like one of those type 1 diabetes patches that measures your blood sugar all the time and 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 also you can send in your turd in a box to to them for them to analyze yeah okay yeah that's it's certainly a bit of a pivot isn't it i mean oh, yeah, yeah i find it weird well <laughs> i weird, suppose it's, uh... it's not that weird because tim specter the weird bit was tim specter who the guy behind it who himself you know he, he set up he, he pivoted into covid stuff at the start of the pandemic but yeah. was actually nutrition and diet scientist before that, wasn't well, he's he? done lots of that. Yeah, he was a tw- actually a twin researcher. Oh, really? um, so he did g- behavior genetics. He, he, he I think Colleague maybe still is as well. the head of the yeah King's College London, the head of the Twins UK, which is this big registry of 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 twins in the UK. Is it? Is it? You know, might be obvious from the title. Yeah. Um, and he's done loads of research on that. He's written some books about nutrition and diet and stuff. But he now can be seen on YouTube all the time advertising this uh, Zoe app. I mean, obviously, I get it because of some algorithmic reason, and you might not have seen it. But I, yeah. I, I see him all the time on YouTube <laughs> to the point where I want to click the thing saying, stop showing me this advert, please. Well, there's a very simple um, reason why I don't see him on YouTube, which is because I'm never on YouTube. You never um, look at YouTube. That's no, very no. Weird. It's because no, uh, you're a bit old. Yeah, so he makes lots of claims on the basis of this Zoe app. But here's one that's made on the Zoe thing. Have you heard this? That you should eat... 30 plants a week for optimal microbiome health. That sounds excellent. I have heard that claim, Stuart, but unfortunately for my credibility, I've heard it reading an article of yours. So, um, so <laughs> where I, I said it was, I said it was, nonsense. Said it was yeah. nonsense. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So well, I can't let's claim explain. I've done my own research here. Yeah. Yes, well, let's explain why it's nonsense. So, so, so this is so the idea is that you eat 30 plants a, a week and the the, the the range of different things that are included as plants is almost comical. So it's not just like fruit and veg, you know, it's also things like curry powder and stuff like that. Black pepper. I'm talking from someone saying black pepper counted. I mean, come on. Um, Grinding it on there. Oh, it's one of my 30 a day. There's one of my my 30. God's sake. Yeah, it's so silly. But... um, but he has, you know, claimed this with a straight face in multiple yeah. places. And and it's spread around as well. Loads of places, you know, if you look online, mm. 30 plants a week, lots of kind of lifestyle health magazines and online things are talking about this. Um, and it comes from a, a study that was done in 2018 that Spectre was a co-author of um, from the American Gut Project. And so the quote from the quote from Spectre is, the single most important dietary factor we found in this study um, for better gut health was the number of different plants we eat weekly, with 30 a week being the optimal number. Right? The op- so, okay, so 31 would be bad and 29 would be bad, but 30, yeah. or at least or at least if you got to 31, that would be on the decline, right? And 29 right. would be quite as good, yeah? Right, so you'd think it would be exactly that, like 30 is the peak. Mm. They analysed, you know, some measure of health, and then 30 a week was the, the absolute peak. But actually, that, that's not... He said that, that's what optimal means. That is literally what optimal means. Yep. So, yep. yes, okay, indeed. carry on. Yep. Unfortunately, that is not what was shown in the study. In fact, they gave a questionnaire to people who had sent in their stool samples into this kind of citizen science... <laughs> Shit is in science. Oh, Shit is in science. Project. Oh, I just hear just you being pleased with that as you're going. I just yeah, hear there's that, like this that big grin written, spreading across your face. <laughs> that wasn't written in the notes. Uh, I just thought of it there. Okay. Um, uh, um, so they said. So, so, so people had sent in their 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 stool samples, and mm. then 
they just selected the people for this particular analysis who said they'd eaten. Now they also did questionnaires about their diet, and and they selected the people who had said they'd eaten fewer than ten plants per week or more than thirty. Okay. So the what. There wasn't an analysis of exactly how, what the number was. It was just fewer than 10 or more than 30. Yes. And, thir- so and 30 self-report anyway. But that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, so it's nothing to do. Self-report, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I but- mean, the number of flaws you can come up with in this, in this uh, analysis is yeah. absolutely unreal. So self-report is one of them. Yeah. Um, but it's also tiny. your analysis thing. It's your, it's your dividing it up into categories rather than dividing having... Dividing up into categories is, yeah. is, is a bad way of doing analysis. Hmm. Ha- they only had 85 people. They had thousands originally in the study, but only 85 of them had done the questionnaires and either said that they had had 30 or more or, or 10 or, or less. Yeah. And it's a correlational study, not a causal one. It's not like they were randomized to eat more plants versus you know less. And uh, no actual health outcomes were measured. They just had some kind of preset measure of... What a healthy microbiome. Oh, right. Like. Okay. So it's not even that. Oh, you notice the people that out of the eighty-five, the, the twenty healthiest have. They're just like no. they, we've decided. We know what well, a good good health. Right. Good healthy exactly. It's not like, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not what the people in this. It's not that the, you know, the people in the study reported f- fewer symptoms or anything like that. People in the you know who'd eaten more plants. Mm. Uh, not only that, but there were loads of dietary questions asked. Like, why did they look at the plant one only? They asked about fermented food and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, um, so why focus on that one? And it's not like there's a pre-registration. Um, it's maybe one of the most flimsy claims I've seen in the you know in nutritional research. And nutritional oh. research is really bad. Yes. So you, you, what you'd say, Stuart, is that this is not really making use of the poor of uh, shit and science. Is that yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good? <laughs> Thank, very you. good. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, exactly, exactly. That it could have been so much better, and that's mm. that was what it was. But you're right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say nutritional science is generally rubbish. Like, it, or, or that's not fair. I'm sure there's lots of it that is trying its hardest in a really difficult, you know, hard and noisy environment. But there's an yes. awful lot of it. Like, as far my my impression I get from years of writing about this is generally most of the anything more complicated than eat your greens is generally not really well supported by good evidence is my is my I think, impression i think that's also my impression and, yeah. and 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 it just goes to show that you need to be very skeptical even when the claim seems to come from a reliable source like tim Spector, as i say is it like a king's college london professor with lots of scientific papers and he's often quoted in the media as an authority and he's written books about diet and stuff mm. and yet that's the like that 30 plants a week thing comes from him and comes from that study and that's the only study that looked at this it's not like there's loads of other evidence yeah. for it or anything. I, I just i find that one of the most bizarre claims that that might be like my What's your yeah one? that might be my like worst claim of the year mm. in terms of in terms of uh dodgy dodgy i suppose i should say know, that like i we, or we should say that someone who's eaten 30 you know all else being equal i would guess that someone who's eaten 30 different plants in a week will be healthier than someone who's eaten zero different you know like that that, that it probably is true yeah, that, that eating more plants me. is good there's just nothing about the number 30 that 30, is yeah yeah is relevant or or that it or that it said why there's any particular reason to think it's better than the five a day advice which has been around for years and years as well and also based on not nothing in particular but you know yeah and by yeah. the way the 30 you're meant you're meant to make the 30 different so it's not just that you can eat 30 cabbages or something you mm. have to eat, it has to be variety it has to be all different stuff again no basis in the actual study about that variety or whether it should be you know all lots of different things no basis in the study at all okay the studies show is brought to you by works in progress um which as most of you probably know by now is an online magazine dedicated to uh science technology and as the name suggests progress and um last month a new edition came out and it had 
a genuinely really interesting article. Uh, everyone knows about uh, asbestos has got this sort of it's like almost a curse word, you know, this sort of yeah. this dreadful thing. Uh, you know this sort of evil spirit that lurks in the uh, in old buildings and so on. We we we're just buying a new house and there are people people the so there asbestos in it. Well, the so the the um the builder looked up at it looked up at the one of the the vents coming out and he said, oh, it looks like that's an asbestos thing. Don't worry, we'll take it out. Oh, so, so, you know, it's that r- sort of ridged uh, sort um, of canvas cloth type stuff almost. Yeah, yeah, but you sometimes see roofs of places that are that ridged roof, and you just see that that's clearly asbestos. You know. Um, it just needs to go in uh, the most recent works in progress there's a um an article by mano majumdar about about it and there's a lot of stuff i just i had no idea i mean firstly it's ancient it's i, I assumed it was a sort of man a man-made product but not at all it's a naturally occurring silicate that you find in um various volcanic places been known since the ancient greeks the, right, to, re- to resist to resist fire to resist fire exactly and uh charlemagne the ninth century first holy roman emperor used, uh, apparently had a tablecloth of pure asbestos that he'd throw into fires as a party trick Quite. seems like a bad idea and having just looked at him up and his death up on wikipedia he died of pleurisy which is a lung condition which uh apparently can be related to asbestosis Oh, so um, well, that's not ideal. Well, he was seventy-seven at the time, which is pretty good for if you live in the ninth century, I think. Yes, um, anyway, true. anyway, the point is that this what Manu Majumdar points out is that while yeah, it is we're spending billions and billions of dollars getting rid of asbestos because it was being built put into loads of our houses over the last couple of centuries, and that's you know it's a good thing because it does cause nasty lung diseases. But actually, back in the nineteenth century, in the last the as as far, you know, Western cities were growing fast and they were made of wood and fabric. You know, and they were dotted with open flames everywhere. They just kept burning down. You know, thousands yeah. of people died every year in city fires. Actually, the the, um, the asbestos was really vital in preventing this massive public health catastrophe of people dying all over the place from burning to death. And um, it says the standard story of asbestos as a mistake or even a crime of massive proportions uh, does not do justice to the real benefits it brought. So, uh, revisionist history of asbestos is really interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great article, and um, uh, you can find that and many other very uh, similarly fascinating articles uh, on worksinprogress.co. It's all free. Uh, and available to anyone who is interested. Um, uh, There are articles in the most recent issue about how mathematics built the modern world, the revolution in how cocktails are made. But there's great stuff stuff in Works in Progress. So that's worksinprogress.co, and we're very grateful that they sponsor Mm. the study show. So thanks very much to them. And now, back to the show. Okay, so microbiomes. It's it's supposed, supposed to be good for our health, right? It's supposed to be good for health in this variety of ways. But what is yes. the variety of ways? What are the things it's actually supposed to do? Well, if you look at the the the, the strongest claims and where where people claim the strongest evidence is, mm. it's actually something that sounds very plausible to me. Which is, if you have an infection in your gut, like a mm. bacterial infection in your gut, then knowing about the microbiome and changing the microbiome can be uh, uh, an effective way of, of, of treating that. So in, specifically, transplanting feces mm-hmm. from one person to another is claimed to help with C. difficile infections in, in, in the gut. So C. diff is the very common uh, bacteria that you can often catch in hospitals. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if you ha- if you've been on antibiotics, you're vulnerable to a C diff infection, and if your doctor or nurse or whatever doesn't wash their hands, then it's quite common that and you're vulnerable catch to be clear because because the antibiotic clears out your microbiome in some spectacular. Yes. It's basically nuking your microbiome or large yep. parts of it, especially if it's a broad yep. spectrum antibiotic, and then that means that there's this virgin environment so to speak for the right. for a, for a new infection for a new right. for a new species of bacteria to spread within or loads of stuff for it to eat and no, no yeah. competition to get rid yeah, of it exactly so, yeah. exactly okay. so very unpleasant and uh you can get this infection it causes you know diarrhea and pain and uh you know other sort of gastrointestinal uh issues so so that's a horrible thing to have and people get like recurrent infections of it and stuff and ordinarily you would just give people another antibiotic to try and deal with that but in recent years people have tried what they call fecal microbiome transplants, mm-hmm. which uh, is literally getting a healthy person's turd, yes, chopping it up in a blender, and either putting it, so putting it into the infected person in some way. So either they do that via like a capsule, so you're you're eating someone else's feces in a capsule and swallowing yep. it, okay, a tube down your nose or your throat. Yep. To put the, the the other person's turd inside you, or you put a <laughs> you put, God. I'm sorry, oh, you did so well, Stuart. You did so well. This is serious stuff, right? Or you put I it mean... up inside. You put it up inside their colon, either through an enema like with, 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 like, with like a plant mist or something it up like that. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> spraying, spraying it up there or um in a like a colonoscopy type thing, you put it in, up inside there. So yeah. so you can either put it up. In one way or, or in the other way. Yes. <laughs> and, um, it's all one and, tube. And, we are basically yes. donuts is the idea, isn't it? We're, <laughs> yeah, exactly, we're, we're, exactly. We're, yeah. um, and the idea is that you're recolonizing the person's gut with healthy bacteria, which will fight back against the 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 um the C. diff infection and uh, and, and cure it. Yeah. Um that's that's the idea and cure their symptoms. And it's and to me that when I first heard about that, it sounded quite mad. But actually you, you look at studies, so there's a a, a review, a meta-analysis in 2020 mm-hmm. that looked that had found 45 different trials of this and concluded that there was strong evidence that it works. And actually, the, they found a 91% cure rate for C. diff infections, which is amazing, uh, yeah. with these FMTs, fetal, fe, fe, fecal microbiome transfers or transplants. So 91%. So uh, I suppose, yes. Uh, what uh, what um you may not know this but when you say 91 percent cure rate presumably some number of c diff infections get better on their own how much better is that i think that's just i can't remember exactly but i think yeah that that's just higher than would happen ordinarily and would uh and also higher than specifically this um antibiotic that they can they compare it to uh which is called van- vancomycin. vancomycin is it vancomycin, vancomycin? I've, always said, I've always said vancomycin yeah, i've never heard it spoken i've only ever seen it written down uh, yeah, uh, vancomycin. Sure vancomycin. so that's what they're compared to so that the, that must have some lower cure rate and and uh than 91 I, I, I don't have the number in front of me right oh, so now, it's not it's not controlled against it's not the it's not controlled against placebo it's controlled against the actual uh, uh, that 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 well increases my well, tell me, tell me more, Stuart. Tell well, me more. yeah, that exactly the same thing occurred to me when I was reading this. That what actually is the comparison here? Are they putting? Are they like doing an endoscopy with some or colonoscopy with someone, and then just not putting any 
turd in there and bring it back out again. And I don't think that's what they're doing. Some of the trials are comparing it to vancomycin, and those are the, the sort of standard ones, I think. And and some of them are just comparing different methods. So some of them do the enema way, and some of them do the down the down the throat way, mm-hmm. or the capsule way, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and 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 that makes me feel a little bit less uh, um, uh, confident in it. But it, it turns out that, uh, that I actually and actually found a, a sort of skeptical review paper that looked at the vancomycin studies um, as sort of a critical paper. And they okay. said that if you look in, in detail at these at these trials, actually the randomized trials are not necessarily comparing to the best possible vancomycin course. So generally what you want to do is is like this tapered and pulsed course of vancomycin where I can't remember the exact details, but you start off with a stronger dose and then you lay off for a bit and then you give a sort of much stronger dose for a while and then you lay off for a bit. And there's, there's you know, the doctors have worked out sort of a, a, a course sort of that you do. Uh, yeah, okay. that, that that really does flush out the, the, the C. diff infection. <laughs> sorry. And, and it turned... <laughs> sorry, yeah. Unfortunate, yeah. unfortunate toilet-related <laughs> word there. Um, that's one problem that they said. They're basically not steel-manning it. They're not comparing it to the best possible... Uh, antibiotic yeah. uh, course and it might it might be better and actually if you just give people a very straight course of vancomycin that might actually make things worse because you know the reason they do the tapered and pulse thing is because you know the, if you if you just give people the, the antibiotic without uh you know the, the, all the standard dose uh without tapering and pulsing it it might actually make the, the, the bacteria come back even worse okay um, okay yeah and so, presumably make bring it come back more likely to be resistant to antibiotics although that's not really relevant yeah to the, yeah that's to, another that's another uh, uh problem and that's why that's why it would be good if these fecal microbiome transfers work by the way because it mm. would mean that we could treat this without antibiotics and you know treating things without antibiotics is generally good for that reason that you don't want them to evolve resistance to to uh, uh antibiotics yeah. They also noticed that it's unclear whether the patients had had treatment previously with with antibiotics. So it's a bit of a confound if some of the patients had been on a big long course of antibiotics and then they started the trial with the the fecal microbiome stuff, um, uh, the transfers. Uh, and so that seems to be a bit of an issue. And also, in would some- that be an issue? That would only be an issue assuming the sample size was large enough. That would only be an issue if the ones on the on the the the, uh, the fecal transplant treatment were systematically more likely to have had antibiotics i guess so if the randomization worked uh then i guess that would not be so much of a problem if there were some people in both groups who had had the the uh the thing but we are talking very small sample sizes here like 13 people in one group and 13 that that sort of thing so you really want to it would in a perfect world everyone would be would have not had any previous treatment for it um but i think in the real world people have tried lots of different things because they've got these recurrent infections yeah um in some of the randomized trials, they got a second fecal transplant if it if the first one didn't work, but they didn't get a second antibiotic course if the first one didn't work. So, so they also, you know, these researchers Subtly pointed out that's a bit yeah, unfair. Protocols, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a bit unfair. So, so that's so that's another that's another problem. And also, there they also talk about safety. I mean, I you can say this for a lot of things that we don't have like super long term follow ups for 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 these uh, things. Other, I, I think generally people find that this is fairly safe. The fecal transplant thing it's not that it's going to cause terrible problems in the future but so that's another thing but i have now slightly downgraded this i had it in my mind that the fecal transplants thing was sort of established that this was a really good way to treat c diff infections but actually now i've kind of downgraded that a little bit yeah. um yeah, I mean, I, again i think like you said at the beginning it's the sort of thing that i that doesn't require any sort of magical 
like uh, and then the you know sort of big uh, stage stage one treatment um fecal transplant stage two question mark question mark question mark stage three depression gets better. yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um yeah. and the, but whereas you know it you put something in your gut and it improves your gut that that's nice and straightforward. So I take less yeah, convincing yeah. on this sort of thing than I do on others. But I suppose but... the question is, it might improve your gut, but the question is, does it do it better? The claim is that it does it better than this vancomycin mm. antibiotic, and it might actually just be better to give people the antibiotic yeah, and not yeah. this. Although, the, like uh, so there's the alternative, there's the other benefits of it not leading to, you know, yep, you're not true. likely to get fecal transplant resistance in the same way. Yes, um, yes. True. And also, people so, people just like the feeling that it feels gross and natural, which people like, don't they? You know, like the, <laughs> people just like thinking like, the excuse to stick poo up their own bums. Yeah, it, yeah. But... It's a, <laughs> it does. I find it very. I I don't have that urge. Uh, do you do say. not? Uh, <laughs> one one more way in which we differ, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a whole thing about that. Like, you know, people having colonic irrigation and mm, enemas, coffee this, enemas yeah. and stuff like that. People love all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah people just love. They just love it. They love it. Yeah. And I think because it feels, you know feel sort of like getting your hands dirty as it were you know like, <laughs> natural down with the soil anyway <laughs> who's got the who's got the alcohol gel <laughs> um so <laughs> so right so um uh it's also i mean I've, I've seen tons of other things where you know there are these gut related conditions like crohn's disease where people have claimed that fecal microbiome transplants have an effect but if you look at the research i mean we'll put a link to one of the reviews that i've seen in, in there um it basically says they're just the studies are very preliminary and we don't have that many. There's only two in the review I found, which was from 2021. So maybe there's been more since then, but there were only two randomized controlled trials and they were very small, I think mm. fewer than like 60 people across both the studies. So so like the, the evidence is really quite weak for, for other stuff. Um, I thought the evidence was super strong for the C. diff thing and now I'm a bit more skeptical of, of, of that. So I don't know, I just don't believe in anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that seems to be almost every single episode we end up like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit Nothing is real. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're nihilists uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in this podcast. Must be um, exhausting. So yeah, so, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so let's come to the the ultimate thing, which I, I find uh a, a, a really weird proposition which is that the microbiome can affect your mental health so mm. you know a, 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 a c diff infection is one thing but alzheimer's or autism or schizophrenia or depression yeah. is another uh, is quite another well that's um, that's my that's the a miracle occurs sort of big uh, set, set, you know stage two yeah. question mark job isn't it that like it takes a lot more takes a lot more convincing it takes a lot yeah. more explanation that how how the how the sort of causal network works here. You know, it's not a it's not a new claim though. Uh, in one of the review studies, they were talking about how in the nineteenth century there was this idea that if you if you didn't have the efficient removal of toxins from your gut, then it might cause you to get melancholia. And the idea was that you would uh, the, the phrase is auto intoxication, so you you intoxicate yourself by producing toxins in your gut, which then uh, and people used to do like gastrointestinal surgery for schizophrenia that was one of the ideas that they had and um, that it would that it would solve schizophrenia if you dealt with you changed the way that their their uh, their gut was uh, arranged mm. and the the phrase i saw in the in the review was it was associated with high mortality and little else brilliant, um, brilliant. so it sounds yeah it sounds quite a lot like a lot of the sort of psychosurgery people did yeah. you know like uh, it also reminds me a little bit of um disgraced dr andrew wakefield do you remember um yes. the night the the infamous 1998 paper looking at 12 
I think it was 12 kids with autism and looking at their, and he found or purported to find measles vaccine in the guts of them. And they all had yeah. um, chronic enterocolitis as well. And, and, and he yeah. was claiming that this, that the gut, was somehow linked to the mind and this was uh the that's measles. right yeah. he, he had a new condition called autistic enterocolitis and that was his that was that that was apparently the discovery in the that paper in 1998 the fraudulent paper that sparked all the anti-mmr uh stuff yes um and, and probably caused lots to, and lots of deaths or many, i think it i think it did some I think number it did. of deaths at least yeah yeah, yeah. and lots of suffering uh from mm. people catching measles uh even if they didn't die um so so yeah and uh, so, so I, that that makes me skeptical as well because it's just sort of associated with bad things like that yeah. about the gut brain axis people talk about the gut brain axis mm. um so i found a paper that claimed that uh several mood disorders such as anxiety depression and autism spectrum disorders now have well-established links to functional gastrointestinal disruptions whereas gastrointestinal disease e.g irritable bowel syndrome uh, often um, involve uh, psychological comorbidities associated with alteration of the gut microbiome so it's basically saying there's a strong link between a correlation the gut and the brain. now what we always know what to say when in these situations was we could imagine that there is a reverse causality there couldn't we quite yes. easily yes yeah. that um i mean we know that the microbiome is affected by what we eat by our yep. diet and yep. it you could very very easily imagine and in fact i we have all know perfectly well that people with um people's people's well people's personality affects how they eat right and if yeah. you've got a personality disorder or a mental health condition or something like that it seems extremely likely that you would be be systematically likely to have different diet to other people and different behaviors and less likely to go and you know more you know different yeah just maybe less likely to go to certain places or more likely to go to other places yeah. which have different yeah. things that you can be exposed to so yes uh, people with autism famously have restricted diets often mm. um you know that they'll, they'll not want to eat certain types of food, food and, yeah, exactly. yeah this sort of thing and 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 uh, um i i've i've used to work with uh people with autism and they had very restricted things that they would eat and they would just not consider eating uh, uh certain things um and you can see how that might affect their microbiome now of course we did say earlier that even taking into account people's diets um th that didn't that didn't explain a huge amount of the microbiome but um it, 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 in extreme cases where people have a very very restricted diet it it, it might have much more of an effect um yeah. and you could see that might be the case for people with alzheimer's and depression and stuff as well yeah but it's also it's not just it's not just diet is it it's the entire your entire behavior over a yeah. lifetime yeah which presumably does have more impact than just the diet but yes i mean i, I see I, I, so it's a fair point that if there is strong founder effects with bacteria that's going to be less affected by whether or not you're unwilling to go bowling or something like that or eat, eat in different restaurants and put yourself in yes yeah okay so okay that's an interesting that's a reasonable I, I find, comeback i find that yeah but then again I, you know I, I do find that a, that's clearly a confound in a lot of these studies that mm. if you're just looking at the correlation between uh some sort of psychiatric outcome and people's microbiome then clearly this you can't just assume that the, the microbiome caused the disorder. No, um, no, you could definitely assume the other way around that the disorder causes the totally. microbiome to start with, or equally that some third thing is causing both. You know, that there's some immune system stuff, something going on, whatever. Yes. You know, there's all yeah. sorts of other possibilities. Now, um, what we haven't mentioned so far is uh, probiotics. So we've we've talked about taking someone's turd and you know, take putting it into your. Uh, gut but we haven't talked about the other way to get bacteria in there which is probiotics so like i was in japan uh last two weeks ago um 
uh, and there was so Yakult. You're in Japan. You love you love a bit of Japan. I That's... do love going to Japan. It's mm. my favorite place in the world. Um, uh, but there was Yakult everywhere. There were mm. vending machines that just only just only sell Yakult. Lots of different f- f- types and bottle sizes of Yakult. Um, I really like the taste of Yakult. I, I, I don't believe in any of the health benefits, but I, I think it's the taste nice. Do you know? Have you ever had Yakult? I don't. I, don't th- I mean, I think of it as being like Yop. I like Yop. Mm, it, it's a bit of a more unique flavor than that. It's not like a milk. It's not. It doesn't taste like a strawberry milkshake or anything. It's a bit. Yops are yogurty. Yops yogurty. It's like it's, yeah, this is. It's a bit more liquid than that. Anyway, it's got a particular kind of pr- like bacteria in it that's, a, that's supposed to be healthy bacteria right. for your gut and stuff. I've seen several studies and reviews of studies that claim that drinking a probiotic or taking a probiotic capsule, you know, t- somehow getting those bacteria into into mm. your uh, into your gut can reduce the symptoms of depression and anxiety. And, and, and wouldn't it be a wonderful world if that was true? Like, the, the, you, you know, you wouldn't need to be on, uh, or, or perhaps, you know, you could lessen your dependence on antidepressants, which of course have all sorts of side effects. Mm-hmm. And you could, just take an, you could just take a probiotic and that would lessen your symptoms. It would be great. I'd, uh, I'd be a little bit surprised, um, but do. It, it's, it's particularly uh, related to this theory that you mentioned earlier on about the inflammation theory of depression that, mm. That depression is caused by some kind of autoimmune uh, issues and uh, having too much uh, inflammation and having all those cytokines swirling around in your blood and uh, and so on. I've not looked at that in extreme detail to see what the sort of level of evidence is for that. I have looked at some of these probiotic studies and they tend to be quite small. Um, there's one meta-analysis that looks at them and finds that in many ways the the, the, the quality is okay, but there are some quality issues. In 2023, researchers at King's College London, again, I keep bringing up King's College London, conflict yes. of interest is that that was my previous employer. Uh, they, oh, I have just attacked Tim Spector, haven't I? So, no, it's fine. So you've, it's, it's absolutely okay. You've, you've, yeah. you've done one positive, one negative. Yeah. Yeah. Done one antibiotic and one probiotic. In this case, I'm probiotic in that yeah. I'm citing their study uh, approvingly. They did a small scale randomized controlled trial of probiotics for depression they said that basically there was a mixed bag of quality in the previous ones like there was differential dropout they didn't look at various aspects that and i think basically they might not be that they might not be that convincing as a whole the previous studies so they did this it was fairly small but they did find some effects on uh on on mood okay in that the mood symptoms were less in the group who got the probiotics and there was a kind of a it was capsules and i think there was a kind of a a, you know placebo capsule in in this case but they just say that that's promising and that we need more studies like we need a definitive trial to provide the properly clinching evidence for for that so you know fine okay yeah wait 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 for wait for more evidence but yeah um, let's 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 not go over the top uh, about that just 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 right now and then there's the and then there's fecal transplants for autistic people, uh, autistic kids. Hmm. And the, now, obviously, a lot of people would say, "Well, uh, there's a sort of movement within autism to say, like, people with autism to say, we don't want to be cured. That's not, you know, it's not like depression or anything. It's a different, it's a different thing." So, acknowledging that that is the case, people have claimed that the symptoms of autism reduce when you do a fecal microbiome transplant from a non autistic individual mm. um, oh, sorry yes uh, can, go on, go on, go on. i was going to say like the, uh, just on the point of people being against autism cures uh, or uh, i uh, it always makes me think of um another scott alexander piece and uh, tom are you referencing a 
Scott it's Alexander. Like, yeah, I know. It would be very, very rare, unusual. isn't it? Yes, yeah, I know. Yeah. But I just from back in 2015, and him who'd worked, he's a psychiatrist and he'd worked with loads of, he said, he, you know, yes. lots of people who were, who were advocating the, the the autism rights stuff and, you know, they're, they're people who, some of whom, you know, have, 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 they're mainly people who are functional in society, but there are lots of people who, are, who have, who are sort of nonverbal screaming in institutions and they yes. probably would if they could talk want to be cured to have a cure yes. for their autism i agree. So, yeah. i i uh the people i used to work with uh when i worked in in care back in the day were certainly um in a lot of have a lot had a lot of struggles every single day a lot of anxiety uh, a lot of pain and that would be dealt with if you know some of their symptoms were less severe so yeah i think there's a it's a bit of a delicate situation there but so, yeah um, it's, it's an incredibly controversial topic and, uh, and yeah. I've, I've got made people angry by talking about it before we've so just blundered into it without yeah, any yeah, real exactly. need to, to yeah. but, but the, the, the point is there was a study this year there was a review this year of fecal microbiome transplants for autism and it, it concluded Fecal microbiome transplants significantly improve symptoms of autism in children with ASD, so autism spectrum disorder. But it's all observational studies. None of these are randomized trials. There are not any randomized trials yet. You can review all the studies you like, but there's no randomized trials at all. So I think you can basically just forget about that one until yeah. someone actually does a randomized trial. And there's going to be lots of sensitivities about it for the reasons we just discussed, and also for the reasons that we discussed a moment ago about Andrew Wakefield, uh, the whole you know sort of slightly tainted uh um idea yeah. that autism is related to the gut because it's been tainted by one of the worst scientific frauds of all time yes yeah and it just uh, yeah it would just be it just yeah uh, no one really wants to get involved with environmental causes for autism or well i don't yeah. know I, people are very very skeptical of it because of right. exactly, there's yeah. a horrible history of it being made up and people being there's a whole history of it, it. Uh, you know vaccines cause it and so on and also there's mothers lots of call really it strong evidence. Refri- refrigerator pet refrigerator mothers calling it that's and right, treated their children right. coldly so, and all that sort of stuff you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and 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 there's there's lots of evidence from loads of different genetic studies that it's very genetic. all sorts of different you know um genetic mutations and so on can can cause lots of different forms of autism mm-hmm. um uh, the very strong evidence that autism is very strongly genetic, and so we shouldn't be thinking of it in in, uh, in this kind of environmental term. And yet, some people claim that having a fecal microbiome transplant as a kid can change it. I'm very skeptical of Me too. Of, of that. Me too. A final example: we've done depression, we've done autism. Alzheimer's is the final example. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about the uh, the amyloid theory of Alzheimer's and uh, and so on. Well, how about the microbiome theory? of alzheimer's um just a few weeks ago there was a paper in brain which is a very good journal to do with kind of neurology that claimed that there is a what was the phrase a causal role of gut microbiota in alzheimer's disease okay so the particular kind of bacteria were were caused not just not just a correlation but actually causal so here's what they did first of all they got they had a sample of people i think quite a small sample of people with alzheimer's and that was either more or less severe they did a kind of alzheimer's screening test of the one of the type that we talked about on on our alzheimer's episode a few episodes back um and it turned out that the people with more severe uh alzheimer's had a different microbiome signature like they had different levels of particular species of bacteria in their stool sample Okay, and which um, would obviously, well, the, the reverse causality thing we raised earlier on totally obviously has relevance here because people's diets, people with Alzheimer's obviously won't have necessarily the same 
diet as people without Alzheimer's. But anyway, carry on. Quite, yep. quite. Uh, I think that's a major, a major uh, thing to bear in mind. Um, and uh, also, if you look in detail at the study, like there's 13 different bacteria that they looked at, and only four of them were statistically significantly different in the you know severe versus less severe group. And some of those were like just on the very border of being statistically significant. So it's this kind of like weak weak evidence and that's right across the whole paper actually everything we're going to talk about is that is that sort of like pretty weak generally because it's a very small sample so mm. you know you you don't really have particularly good statistical power any any effects you find are generally you know if unless they're dramatically massive effects they, they tend to be quite quite uh borderline anyway so and here's the weird part and again this sounds like a sort of mad science ridiculous situation which is they took those fecal sam- samples from the Alzheimer's patients, and then they had healthy controls as well. They mixed them up into what they describe. <laughs> to what they describe. Sorry, we're back to this again. This is a very serious. To- <laughs> it's a very serious topic. Hold it together, man. God's <laughs> they, sake. They mixed them up into what they described as a slurry. <laughs> Lovely. Fucking hell. They, uh, into a slurry. They, and they didn't just they didn't feed it to the rats. They force fed it to the rats, right? Because of course they're not going to eat it of their own accord because it's quite unpleasant. Because it's chopped uh, up poo. Because it's, cho- it's chopped up people's, you know, human... human. Well, I mean, they are rats. That's true. Not, <laughs> These are not, not, not the epicures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But anyway, they, they force-fed it to them. Um, the, the euphemism they use for force-feeding is gavage in the, in, the, in the study, which is... Which is what they do for, for geese, right? For foie gras. Isn't that the yeah, they thing? they shove they shove stuff down its its gullet, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I don't I, actually. I don't know if that's called gavage. I've look, I just looked up gavage, and that's um, when they when you feed it uh, tube through the mouth, nose or mouth into the stomach. So maybe I don't know if that's the same thing as foie gras. Anyway, I can but, see it on the on the Wikipedia page. Foie gras production is a horrible picture of a duck being force fed corn to fan its liver. It's, it's very unpleasant. Foie gras, um, la calvaire de gavage. So they do, so so uh, the, the the fondation Brigitte Bardot. Uh, Bridget Bardot is against gavage and foie gras. So anyway, uh, oh, good, is, good, is yeah. good, good, yeah, good, good for you, Bridget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is she still around? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, Bridget Bardot is or was against <laughs> against this gavage stuff. Let's anyway. find out. Is Bridget Bardot alive? Yes, she is. Hi. Yes, she is. Uh, on 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 uh, today, we're recording this on uh, in, in early December, twenty twenty three, and she is still alive. Um, good, good stuff. So, yeah, good, good, good honor. I enjoyed uh, seeing her in the film uh, Le Mepris. Have you ever seen that? No, it sounds a bit subtitly for me. Um, so Jean-Luc Godard's film Contempt is the word. It's a, a great film from the uh, the uh, French New Wave. Anyway, so so um, uh, the, the rats, force-feeding rats. How on earth did we? Oh, right, she's against force-feeding uh, animals, yes. They force-fed the rats the slurry and then uh, they made them do what amount to rat IQ tests. So like running around a maze, uh, remembering where they were in different mazes and stuff like that. And to cut a long story short, they claim that the, that the Alzheimer slurry Hmm. caused the rats to be less good at the IQ test. So the, the cognitive deficits were transferred by the microbiome, uh, from, from the, from the humans to the rats. And I find this a mad thing. And, And actually the evidence is, very weak like the again it's borderline statistical significance like really on some tests it's there and some tests it isn't it's really not that convincing i would i would say um and you also have to ask like do you think running a rat running around a maze 
is that the same thing as an Alzheimer's patient's cognitive deficits? Like, I mean, is, uh, there's no, I, I, well, given we don't know what causes Alzheimer's, uh, amyloid, amyloid hypo- hypothesis aside. Well, yes. I mean, we have no way of knowing whether improving the IQ of the rats would be relevant to the uh, improving. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Is a short answer. I, I, it, yeah. I, yeah. Again, it, it's a it's a lot of it's a long causal pathway between, or at least a, a long lot of links of the chain between what they found and what they are claiming it's relevant to. I yeah, think, totally, totally. I mean, they also looked at the brain as well, and they 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 claimed that they had found that the rats who had had the Alzheimer's slurry were um, had had less neurogenesis, so like the growth of new neurons in their hippocampus. So that's the part of the brain that's. We know is involved in memory, isn't it? memory. Yeah, that's very, very strongly memory related, and and that is a thing in Alzheimer's that you you, you get less neurogenesis, and that's one of the other kind of alternative theories of Alzheimer's is that you is it's not so much to do with the 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 um, amyloid hypothesis, but it's but it's more to do with neurogenesis in the hippocampus, and there's some evidence for that, um, and even but but then in this study, like by the time you get to the the rats that. You know, I think there were only fifteen rats in each group, but then by the time you get to the ones where they measured neurogenesis in the hippocampus, there's only like four in each group. So I don't know if that's even, you know, is, is it even worth paying attention to results that are in, you know, in four that rats? Small? No, yeah. like what I don't think we can say anything at all about human whether whether yeah. or not humans should eat capsules of other people's poo because that <laughs> yes. because there is an ambiguous yeah. result in a group of four rats. I, yeah, I, I, you gotta. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta treat this as a very preliminary uh, result. I would say. Yes, I, I would be. I, I'm immediately somewhat skeptical of all of this. <laughs> yes, I think it's fair to say. yes, indeed. So I think I think that's um, actually a good point to kind of draw it to a close. Like we've talked about the the kind of weird diet claims, like thirty plants a day, and how that's a load of nonsense. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how there's maybe some better evidence for the for the the kind of gut level disease. Yep. So the, the the like C diff infections and stuff. Although we have cast out on that as well in our unfortunately nihilistic uh, yes. style. <laughs> but but I th- but like, it is it is not surprising to me that the strongest evidence is for the least like the least mad you know the fecal like gut implant gut health has an impact on your gut health you know that that yeah, seems 100 less yeah. dramatic to me than gut health has an impact on your alzheimer's risk or your depression or anything like that not ruling those other things out but it's just there's so many it feels like those those things where they say, "Oh, that you know, what, what, what's that? What's that alternative medicine thing that tells you th- your feet? Uh, each bit of your foot has some is oh, mapped to. Uh, is it reflexology? Is yeah, that reflexology that or Reiki or yeah. one of these ones. And it's yeah. like, well, like you're you're drawing a link between two things, and you need to show that link with really good evidence rather than just and yeah. and, and in the f- f- case of reflexology, it's clearly not there. But in this case, maybe it's a bit less mad, but it's not." On, just on the face of it, without any strong evidence, it's not that much less mad, and yes. you need you need really good evidence to back it up. And I I, I just don't think it's there. I, I yeah, don't. I think so. I I agree. I think I've, the the evidence that I've seen that links it to the mental health stuff is 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 generally quite weak. And I think there's an awful lot more work to be done there. Mm. I think you can make a plausible story, but then you can make a plausible story in lots of different cases. But you need to have that daisy chain of all the actual evidence. Uh, along the way and uh plausible is not really good enough um, yeah so you'd say your gut instinct 
Very is good. The, thank you. Yes, yeah. Is that it's, it's not real, or at least that it's not real in the um in the or or that it's oh, I'm being unfair. It's it, that it, there's a long way to go before before I would need convince be be convinced on this stuff. And at yeah. the moment, I, I ju- it's just one more plausible theory among millions of others for the causes of various things. And there are other theories which more directly involve with the brain, for instance, which seem. An easier, yeah, more, a better place more, to start. More direct. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and that's another thing to say, actually, is is how much of an explanation do we think the gut-brain axis thing is? Like, people become... When, when, you, when you do science in a particular area, you, you tend to become obsessed with it and think that it's the only explanation um, of, of everything. But are we talking, like, do we think 20% of the overall variation in depression symptoms might be explained by the microbiome and the rest is something else or are these people claiming that all of depression is caused by this or like what you know where i don't know this i don't have an idea in my head of sort of the 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 um the relative yeah contribution that these things are supposed to make yeah if you cured well or if you if you perfectly optimized everyone's gut microbiome tomorrow what percentage of yeah the, the, yeah. the mental health crisis would uh, disappear or something yeah. like that you know i don't um, know what the evidence like you would need to look at the effect that that the you know the probiotic things and all that had on depression symptoms for instance and then see how that related to the overall variation in depression symptoms and you know how much you could change it if everyone had a very healthy microbiome so it's, i think there's just a lot more to be done on this and we just don't you know we've just got kind of scattered trials here and there and some of them are not very good and so there's a lot of research uh, still to be done so um, and a lot of claims i think the other thing is there's a lot of very confident claims that it is what matters and they are not yeah. warranted i think that, but people but, love to people love to believe it anyway as you said earlier do. people there's something about and Squirting it goes back to jillian mckeith yeah yes. it goes back to jillian mckeith there's something about it, like it must tell you something about your it goes way health. back further than that, though. But like the the of chronic course. irrigation and and I mean there were there were um oh, the, uh, Gerson therapy. Uh, we were uh, goes back. You know, people were having coffee enemas in the fifties right, and sixties yeah. um, yeah. when you know Julian McKeith was actually probably a, a young woman, a young girl rather than a, a twinkle in her father's eye. But you know, the, <laughs> yes, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. But it's been around for a long time. So this may be, uh, the sort of hype around this might be uh, uh, the, 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 the most recent instantiation of that sort of weird obsession people have with turds. Mm. Uh, very, very, very odd to to to, to my mind, but that is. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, other to people each are a mystery. Their own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to each their own. All right. Um, is that everything? Do you think, Stuart? That's everything, Tom. Oh well. Um, I was trying to think of some poo pun to end with, but I wasn't. I wasn't quick enough. So I'll just say goodbye. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Great yeah, we've done enough. <laughs> yeah, we've done exactly. enough. Uh, we'll see you next week for something which is uh, just as disgusting, actually. Yeah, brilliant, fantastic. Yeah. All right, <laughs> splendid. Oh, oh, Bye. oh, and. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, yeah please ooh, do. Really, yeah, like, if yeah. you haven't subscribed to the podcast on, on Substack, that's thestudieshowpod.com. We'd be very grateful if you did. And if you aren't a paid subscriber, we'd be even more grateful if you want to upgrade your subscription uh, and then you get access to the paid-only episodes as well. Oh, so nearly forgot to do that, Stuart. No, yeah, I yeah, 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 don't forget. I feed my children. Thanks very much, everyone. <laughs> right, that's the end. Bye. Bye-bye.